uh, I'm in a, a PhD program now, and I'm going on to be certified in certain areas like life coaching or coaching. I'm just going to talk about how the, those um, academic pursuits um, complement or impact where we are in our lives and how it can impact where you are in your life. And if you are contemplating or thinking about whether or not you should go on and pursue um degree in this area, degree period, or a higher level of degree, then it's important that you listen uh, to the show. And so uh, those are the things that we're going to be talking about, and we're going to do a special teaching tonight on living a life of purpose. And um, we're going to talk to you about how uh, to uh, understand what your purpose is and how education fits into the purpose that God has assigned um, to your life. And so I'm going to give you a little um, background um, on Makia, or I'm going to invite her, rather, uh, to do that so that she can uh, give you a little bit. I'll just tell you the basic, but I'll let her give you the meat of where she is in her life as of right now. Um, she's a graduate. She graduated from California State University in Northridge with a degree in liberal arts. Uh, liberal studies forever in 1987, and she received her teaching credentials in fields of both general and special education from the California State University, and also from California State University, a master's of arts degree in education, and completed her work in school administration in 1990. Um, she's very proud of her extensive career. With the Los Angeles Unified School District as an educator, a mentor, teacher, and a program specialist. But presently, she yeah. is uh, pursuing her life passions through giving back, giving people back their power, successful, yeah. and fulfilling their lives. And she is currently a life coach in the state of Georgia. She is the founder and CEO of Empowered One Life Coach Limited Liability Corporation. So I'm going to let her uh, come on and say hi to you and introduce herself, and we're going to get right into uh, tonight's show. Makia. Good evening. Thank Good you so evening. much for having me, Ginger. I really uh, appreciate you're... it. Um, I, as she stated, um, I've done some things, but this is so exciting to be on here with you today at this time. I wanted to share with you that I'm a mother, a wife, and a grandmother. Wow. Um, yes, yes, yes. And I um, I taught for 30 years in the school system. Wow. Uh-huh. And I'm one of 10 children and the first one to get any type of a degree. And so I'm proud of that, and my family gave me a lot of support. I came from a, a two-parent home um, and uh, where a lot of love was shown. And so that love still encourages me today. Amen. Amen. Uh, uh, and in pursuing that, you say you're the first to come uh, from your family to get a, the first to get um, a degree in your family. What what um were there any uh, personal struggles that you when you were pursuing that under that degree, going for the first time? You know, what what, what entered your mind? You know, knowing that you were the first person um, in your family um, in to get the college degree, or you know, the desire to finish. Mm-hmm. Oh, what was going on through your mind at that time? This is very interesting, um, gender. I found myself. I came out of high school as a honor student, so I was very excited, and my family supported me, of course. But once I got to 
the university level, I found that everything that I had uh, learned and the, the accomplishments that I made in high school, they were at a second-rate level. I went to a school in the inner city, and the skills that I needed to really prepare me to get into college, I did not have them. Wow. Yes, and so I found myself instantly at a deficit. And so instead of getting giving up uh, with uh, the support of my family, I just kept pressing forward, pressing, pressing, pressing. So it was always a constant um, situation where I was trying to catch up where I should be, then, they, then my peers were at another level, had to catch up again. And so it was constant catch-up. And uh, often I haven't heard many people share this, but it was a very difficult to live with that type of catch-up, look where I am now, catch-up some more, when really I should have just been at a point where I could, you know, just in, interact and take on the uh, joy of going to a university and the joy of learning, but it was always a struggle, especially initially. Wow. Okay. And so uh, what did the, um, you were playing catch-up? Was it that uh, the school that you, uh, you said earlier that you didn't feel prepared for college? Well, I, the thing was I thought I was prepared, but once I mm. got there, it was clear that I wasn't. And so, as a and because the skills were not there. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I was had that... to prepare. I had to. I found myself outside of the classroom preparing myself with those skills that I didn't get, and also trying to catch up to where my peers were that were actually in those classes. So okay. that's what I found myself doing, and it was a constant, constant battle. And um, not only that, I went to a school that was in a, uh, in a all Caucasian area of um, California, and it was clear that um, a lot of them, uh, the professors and the surrounding community, did not want us there. Wow. Yes, but the Black Student Union that gave me a lot of support. My my. Uh, uh, at that time, I was just developing a relationship with God, and then my the support and love of my family really helped me during those times. Um, what, what were some of the, the challenges? You say you know it was evident that the, that the white students and maybe even faculty didn't want you there. Was it um, was it subtle or was it just blatant? You know, uh, they show a lack of support. Did they not? You know, how was it evident that they didn't want you there? Okay. It was both. It was blatant mm-hmm. and it was indirect. For instance, uh, when uh, you would sit in class, they would, you know, say things directly. How, you know, we have a, a group, a new population of students here that we're we're not used to teaching. But, you know, never saying uh-huh. what, and you're the only one in the classroom. Or in, and you know that... Um, when you go for office hours and they're just, just very short with you and don't really have the time and patience for you. And then when we would go off campus to get an apartment for a living situation, mm-hmm. nothing. They would say it is not available. Then one of our white counterpoints would go and it would be available. 
And so mm-hmm. we, you know, but we learn to deal with that. We learn yeah. to deal with it and and make the best of the situation. And even though I I I I could even feel it when you you know in the classroom to feel that it was like uptight and stressful because they weren't used to me and I wasn't used to them. But you know it worked out in the end. It all worked out, and I'm um, I'm not ashamed of it. It made me who I was and who I am. And um, I would tell anybody in that situation, just remember who you are, who you are and who you are. And that means, you know, a child of God. And, and just keep pressing and keep pressing and believing in yourself and, and, and you can accomplish anything, anything. Yeah. And um, I, and those those situations made me strong, and they made me who who I am today. Right. And mm-hmm. how did, how did you like when you you know how did you was that in your undergraduate years? Yeah, that was in my undergraduate years. Yeah. Okay. And so how you know when you're sitting in a class and a white teacher they kind of come in, the only black in the class, you know that that teacher is talking about you. You know the white. Because other students are looking at you, you know, when you get back to your apartment, to your house, or, you know, what's going on, what is going on in your mind, mm-hmm. and then what actually um, on the inside of you fortifies you to keep studying, mm-hmm. you know, because you could easily get enough and just say, forget that, you oh, know, yeah. or I'll go do hair or something, you know, and I've gotten that college degree, but something had to be there that propelled you and pushed what the students were saying, past what the instructors were saying, that when you got home and had to study, you you had purpose had to be somewhere to keep mm-hmm. you going. Well, after you push past the anger and the mm-hmm. hurt, and you talk amongst your peers, and we all were experiencing that. Mm-hmm. You know, you knew, and so you knew that you weren't the only one. You know, of your friends that was experiencing that. Uh, and even though I'm, you know, in the midst of having classes, I would have those classes where I went to where I was embraced and I was loved for who I was, and um, that being some of the uh, African-American courses that I took, and they they it, they would encourage me. They knew it, too, and they would encourage, we would encourage each other, and the professors would encourage us. And um, I began to realize, hey, you know, I'm somebody important. I am somebody and I uh, would read about my black culture and, and the amazing things and accomplishments that we did. And even in you know, in Egypt and Africa and here in the United States and it, I would just each day pump myself up, 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 up until finally I was to a point where, you know, it's whatever was going on around me didn't bother me. It was more like no weapon formed against me shall prosper, and so you see it happen, but you just look over it and above it because you are more than a conqueror. You know you deserve an education, too, and this is your right. So after that, I mean, you see it and you didn't see it. Right. You know what I mean? And, you know, those times when on those most difficult days when maybe it was a a bad experience or they got to you that day, you would uh, just have to come and lick your wounds and keep going because there was a goal in mind, and that goal was to get an education to uh, 
uh, make more options for myself and to be more financially secure. Wow. Okay, so that's undergrad. So um, when you decided to go get a master's degree, did um, any of that come into play in your decision, or did you know that you just have to keep pressing on? And, and you, because as you just said, there was a goal in mind. Yes, and there was a goal in mind, and by then I was a pro at dealing with it, and um, um, things had gotten better, and, and, and you know, on some of the. Um, UC campuses, and it just worked out. Um, that goal was stronger than ever, and um, when I went to graduate classes, it was stronger than ever. And um, even other obstacles that you know you deal with in life, like um, for instance, um, I was kidnapped. Prior, it was a week or two before my uh, master's exams were due. <laughs> And I had to, girls. I had to really pull myself together, pray, and get strength from within, and go toward my dream. In other words, I could not let circumstances make me a victim. What do you mean, kidnapped? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I was actually kidnapped. I was uh, coming from a, a master study. A group that I had, and um, I uh, approached my home and was kidnapped by uh, a stranger. And uh, I was put into a car at gunpoint. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so, but wow. I'm just, and those kind of things I had to overcome, mm-hmm. big and small, so that I could live the life that I was determined to live and accomplish the goal that I had set out to do. And so, you know, and I know, you know, there's many things that other people uh, deal with going through their own different um, journey. But I'm just saying those are the kind of things that I went through and I had to get through them. And it wasn't always uh, easy. That was very difficult because that had never, I never even met anybody that that happened to. And so trying to regroup in my mind, study for this master's program, and get that whole idea of what happened to me out of my mind and then press forward, that was a press. And But I was able to do it. And, and it was because of my faith, Ginger, my faith in okay. God. I know of that. I know that I know that's what got me through that particular aspect of my journey. Right, absolutely. I, you know, when I went to my undergraduate, uh, when I got my undergraduate degree, I went to an historical black college, Southern University. Oh, in Bat- okay. Yeah, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So, of course, I did not experience uh, in the un- from the un- on the undergraduate level. Mm-hmm. I did not experience uh, the prejudice, the racial prejudice or racism, because I'm at a black university. So, I'm in a comfortable setting. You know, mm-hmm. I-, I see people I went to high school with, and or people I knew from other. High schools. It was exciting for me because, not that it wasn't exciting for you, but it was exciting for me because I am now still in a comfort zone, you know, <laughs> so I'm not dealing with, with that particular thing. I'm just, you know, meeting new people from different countries, different states, you know, other blacks. We, You know, maybe one or two white folks was on the campus at that time, probably not hardly any, you know, and so I was still in a comfort zone. And so the challenge for me, uh, in re- in reference to that, was when I went to Oral Roberts University. When I went to pursue my master's um, 
uh, in graduate school, in graduate theology school, where there was only maybe 10% black, you know, in the whole Christian university. And so um, you're talking about being in a university where, you know, in, in grad school, all black people know each other. You know what I'm saying? That's how you know. That's how few it was of us. You know, we yeah. all knew each other. We knew each other by names. We, you know, they had graduate apartments for us to live in, and so we knew exactly where each person's apartment was. You know, um, regardless <laughs> on what side they lived on, and we faced some challenges because we're there, and so it's only a small percentage of us, and so every say like every February or some major uh, African-American holiday, it wasn't celebrated at that time on that campus. And so then we had to get together and say, well, you have black students at East University. We would go to chapel and there would not be any black preachers that would come. We would go, we would go twice a week mm-hmm. and we would not see black preachers. We would just see the white preachers that we that you see on Benny Hinn, Joyce Myers, and all the folks that you see on TV now. Mm-hmm. We, would be, we would go to chapel and we would not see and we didn't start seeing African American preachers until we started requesting them. We say, you know, we're here too. And so we don't want to just come to chapel and just see Af- uh, white preachers. We want you to get some African American preachers. And believe it or not, we had to give them names or something. Really? Yeah, you know, they knew, of course, at that time, Carlton Pearson was very popular at that time. He was very popular. And maybe maybe one other person that they actually, if they knew of Miles Monroe, was very popular at the time. But even when uh, Pastor Miles Monroe from the Nassau Bahamas came to um, to Tulsa at the time, basically it was because Carlton Pearson was bringing him. And he was a graduate of ORU as well. Wow. You know, so it wasn't until like a group of us got together and said, listen, even though it's a small population of blacks, you still have some blacks here on this campus. Mm-hmm. And so I think one year we kept asking and kept asking. Finally, we we were we when we, our all of our professors were white except one, you know. So finally, brought in a second black professor, and that was uh, Dr. Leonard Lovett. Uh, he was out of the Church of God in Christ. They brought him in, and so when, by him coming in, we uh, we were able to get classes on black preaching, the black church. You know, we didn't have any of those types of classes because they didn't, I mean, they had their program, but it did not incorporate, it did not include everybody. I see, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't multi, it wasn't diverse. It wasn't yeah. multicultural. You learned multicultural when you went to the mission class. And they were talking about, when they talked about multicultural, they were talking about going, you going to another country somewhere on a mission trip. Uh-huh. You, yeah. See, I know because we took classes, you know, we had our our like on the catalog, we had black classes that we could pick from, but we had to fight to make sure they were equivalent to some of the white courses that we had to take for general requirements. And right. we weren't just taking them to be in a black class. We wanted them to work, to to be taking them so that they can work toward something toward our degree. And Absolutely. so, yeah, we had to fight for some of those things too, but it was, I remember those days. It was just to fall into the seat of one of those African American classes was just so encouraging and just like oh, somewhere to rest where people you know embrace who I am and where I come from. So that was that was a very interesting time. But I tell you, I wouldn't give I wouldn't I wouldn't give it back. I would I would definitely go through that again. Because, girl, I am proud of who I am, and those those barriers and those obstacles, they made me who I am today. And 
and people that go through things similar, I can tell them, look, you can get through that. That's just a stepping stone. It does not yet appear what you shall become. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. You know, even for those of us who were, those of us doing that time, and I'm sure it's a little better now, but during the time that I was going to ORU, we we made it through. You know, we made it through because, again, we knew each other. And so when we needed to discuss something, we was at somebody's apartment, you mm. know, strategizing. And if we needed to help each other out, if an African-American, was show, you know, uh, didn't have food in their apartment, we would make sure that they had something to eat. If they didn't have books, we would loan our books out, you know, say, hey, okay, you study from this book. I'm going to study from this book right now. I'll get it back in a couple of hours. We yeah. made sure that our African-American um, colleagues, student colleagues, did well while they yeah. were there. And we're all pretty much still friends even right now. We knew each we we learned about each other. We knew about each other's churches, even if we were from different states. You know, there was uh, I think a couple of times when I came home from Bat to Bat Rouge and it was a couple of African American um students that, you know, live far away and couldn't get home for a holiday or something like that and we just would load them up in the car. Bring them home, as opposed to leaving them on the campus by themselves. You know, and then uh, there's been a, there was a couple of times where instead of coming home for Thanksgiving, I would wait for, to go home for Christmas because the Christmas break was was longer, and so I would opt to stay on the campus for the Thanksgiving break because I knew that some other black students were going to be on campus, and rather than be alone per se. You know, because they couldn't, if they lived in California or for all those, even at that time, ticket mm-hmm. prices, where when you talk about going to grad school, paying your apartment, got to pay for, at that time, books were just, you know, the prices of books were just going up. You know, we would have like a $300 voucher each year, each semester, to per- with a part of our financial aid to purchase books and, and materials. And because money was slack, we had to use the entire 300 in the college bookstore, not just for the books, for ink pens, for paper, writing paper. I mean, we would use it to the very penny because yeah. there was nothing extra in your pocket to go to the Walmart or to the uh, Target or whatever it is. You because be, money, you didn't get your refund money until later, so you have to use that voucher. For, you got all your books first, and then you have to see what was left, and then you went back and got notebooks ink pens, you know, it wasn't no souvenir stuff with like with ORU on it. No, this for class. You know. And Yeah, um, I know. Yeah, I know. and at that time, you know, uh one no laptops and computers, you know, you had to go to the to the computer lab on the campus. That's and, right. That is so you know, even with uh, um I was telling you that um the high school that I went to was like a second rate education provided for us, okay? So um, all the time struggling, struggling, and when I got to grad school, I was like, oh, you know, I feel like I can breathe. I feel like, you know, I'm in a place now that I'm okay. We got into that grad program, and people don't think of the West Coast having to go through things like the only black or prejudice, but we mm-hmm. And um, I was the only black person in my master's group. Wow. The only black person in my master's group. And um, even though I had made lots of leaps and bounds as far as um, 
growing academically and pulling myself up and getting the skills that I needed, I found when I was in that master's program, they were complaining that, oh, this is hard and this we can't do this. and But they didn't know that. They showed me how to do it. Wow. They showed me how to do it, and I was the encourager because they didn't believe in themselves, even though they had all the skills, the background, and the uh, education, if, you know, starting from mm-hmm. high school. They had everything they needed, but they complained, and they were discouraged, and they felt like they couldn't do it. And I was like, oh, no, I came too far. We're going to do this. And like I said, in some, there were some little aspects and are, are, are pulling it all together, but they really taught me while I was there how to do it. But um, it all worked out because in the end we were on the same, you know, we are all mm-hmm. level, but there were some aspects of pulling it all together, doing the research, how to do the research, where to go exactly, and how to formulate what um, the thesis was going to be and, and pulling it together that I learned from them. And they didn't know they were training me when, but at the same time I realized I trained them and encouraged them, you can't give up just because it's a small little bump or a small little obstacle. We have to keep moving forward. (laughs) Right, and you know what, I think um, what we don't know sometimes as as African Americans, you know, we get the undergrad degree, but we don't know until we go to that master's level that, you know, sometimes we have these um, irrational beliefs about other groups of people, you know, because we we have these things that we've been told you all throughout our lives, you know, and you, when you get to that master's level, you find out that people are people, and they're not as smart as you've been told that they are, and they don't know as much as you've been told that they are. No, and I know when I got to grad school at um, ORU, you know, I was like, I, I was amazed because my mind was like, oh, they, you know, they're going to know this. Not necessarily true. Not and um, right. And uh, you're thinking, wow, you're, gonna, you're already in that class. You're already thinking, okay, oh, Lord, I'm going to do this master's work now. And it really was a challenge for me because coming from Southern University, I really wasn't, uh, uh, I majored in accounting. So I didn't really have to do research papers, mm-hmm. you know, and writings. Like, you know, uh, my undergrad didn't require that. So when I got to graduate school, I had to learn how to research and I had to learn how to um write those research papers and uh, and make all those, the bibliography and footnotes and all this other kind of stuff. I had to learn that. And, and, and what I did to empower myself was I made sure that whatever I was writing on was something I was interested in. Mm-hmm. So that helped propel me to the place of learning how to uh, research and write papers. And what I would do, we had, at that time we had one black professor, professor when I first got there. And so Whenever I would get stuck, I would go to his office. He wasn't even my instructor. He was teaching Greek or something, Greek language or something like that. And I would go to Dr. Grizzle's office and ask him questions, and uh, and he would answer. And I, I I knew that he understood that the African-American students were coming to him because he was a black professor. And so he just provided us with the answers and gave us the guide, and it was there with Dr. Grissel that I realized that I had a a, um, uh, a writing ability. Mm. You know, I went into his office one day, and he actually said it. You have a good writing ability. And then said, but you must watch your grammar and punctuation. 
And when he said that, now, listen, some of my white professors may have told me that, but it, you know when it really sinked in? When Dr. Grizzle said it. Yeah. And I think because he was an African-American a professor, because he had his Ph.D., you know, and all of that, and I'm looking at do I want to continue on? Um, you know, I didn't get a chance. To, well, I, did, I think I did have a class with Dr. Grizzle, but I'm looking at him being the only black professor. And so for him to look at my paper and then say that meant a lot. And so I, when he said that, then I started paying attention to how I was writing. And I made sure that I understood, the, you know, learned a little bit more about grammar and sentence structure. And I kicked it up a notch so that my papers would be on the graduate level. The creativity was already there, but we're talking about writing scientifically for a higher degree. Then, you know, it's not like, you know, writing a poem, you know. <laughs> I know. No, I know. I if know you want exactly. to get out that grad class, you got to write according to how they want it, and then the APA style and all this other kind of stuff. And I'm like, what is that? You know, and um, it it was really, really a blessing to have him there for us. And then, of course, then Doctor Lovett comes along a couple of a year or so later, and that made it even better because not only did he have the PhD. But he also had the uh, pastoral and Christian ministry background. Okay. And so when he came to teach us in the in, uh, seminary, we had um, pretty much double with him. So there he was helping us to write and talking to us of the importance of writing because then he was the author of a book. When he got there, he had already written a book. And so while we have this black professor who's written a book Plus, on top, he has all the experience that we're looking to get in, you know, in church, and he's teaching at this on this level. So we get to get to learn, like you say, our history, the history of the black church, and you know, because all none of that was a part of our curriculum, you know, until they actually brought him on staff, and so then that's how we learn the history of the uh, the black church and how it was so important uh, during the early days, especially the civil rights movement and uh, the civil rights movement and all of that. We didn't learn that. Some people may have known it, but it really came to the forefront when we had to take his class yeah. of the black church. And so it was in grad school that I realized and, and learned to develop uh, writing skills that I still use today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, have you um, ever, uh, let's say this, you know, ask somebody to ask you this question, on any of the jobs that you have had, like you did, you did a lot, well, in the school system, did you experience or see where African-American, where an African-American woman had to work twice as hard, even though she was educated and trained for the position? There are one or two occasions in my whole career where I felt that, and one was I went to, uh, I started working at this school, and um, it was a, a lot of different um, teachers. They were Asian, with some black, some Hispanic. Anyway, so I, this one person I met, he began working at the same school, and we worked. And over the years, he went to another school, I went to another school, and then I ended up getting a job at the district office in uh, Los Angeles. And... Um, Lo and behold, he he came in, and they said, this is your new supervisor. And I thought, oh, this is great. You know, we went to school together. We taught together. This is great. Uh, he went. He moved up and up in the district office, and finally he was way up there, you know, like uh, mm-hmm. 
understanding of uh, instruction. And uh, he asked me to take this position, but I had already had a, 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 a co-worker of mine to apply for it, so I didn't want to compete against her. And from that day on, when I, ref- I refused, you know, I said, no, I've already asked a friend to do that, and I don't think it would be fair for me to apply for the same job that I told her about. And from then on, he had it in for me, and everything I would do, he would just stomp it. He would just uh, put his hand out and say, this is no good. I could do nothing good. He he told me, you know what, you'll never be a school administrator because you'll be the position that I had you went into uh, becoming a principal or an assistant principal. He said, you'll mm-hmm. never. And that insulted me. And I told him, and after that, this is a Caucasian, a Caucasian a man. After that, when I applied to become a VP at a school, everywhere I went, he just, like, put poison on it. Wow. And these are people that I had developed relationships with. But because he was the superintendent of instruction and he could uh, he could provide uh, uh, things for the school that I couldn't, they said, oops, just ask her. She's out of the running for principal or vice principal. And that really hurt me. And um, I ended up uh, moving out of California after that. But um, that was a quite an experience that really... To this day, it really it really hurts me to know that he did that to me, and it was just a. It seems like he only had it in for the black women. You know, I saw how he treated my friends and my mm-hmm. other friends, and uh, it, it, it was just heartbreaking that you know we both had master's degrees, we both were in the district office. We, you know, even though he had that position, we both could do some of the same things. We had the skills, skills, a lot of the same skills, but he was. Um, he had it in for me, and I realized that. Wow. And so, But he had a master's degree as well? Yes, he did. We both had a master's degree. But he came in in a higher position, and he eventually moved up as a uh, – he became a superintendent of instruction, something like that. And mm-hmm. to this day, you know, I um, I was telling a story at a conference about some of the things that helped to make me what I am. And the tears came out from nowhere, from nowhere, I'm sorry, because I still had that hurt of how he tr- he treated me. And I, But when he came in the district, I took him all around and whatever he needed and kind of gave him some background knowledge on some things, and it was very hurtful. But that's what happened. And you move on. Yes, yes, and you do it unfortunately. Yeah, you move on, and unfortunately you move on, and you have to take that pain with you. Yes, but then, uh, you know, once I realized it was still with me, I worked on it, mm-hmm. prayed on it. Yeah, absolutely, because I'm going to tell you, you know, being yes. an, be, you know, being African-American uh, female, even um when I had my when I got my undergraduate degree in certain uh, jobs or uh, area jobs that I had, if uh, there was some whites on the job that didn't have degrees, they tried to make it hard because mm. there was a jealousy that set in. You know, here you come with a degree and you're black. You know, and so um, and they'll make comments like, "Well, you know, I don't have a degree, but I can do the job," or, "You know, mm-hmm. well, you you know, we don't all have that fancy degree." And then when I got the master's um, degree, you know, uh, just here, master's, 
They don't even know they don't even know what their degree is in. They just hear a masters. And again, you know, um they become uh, intimidated and out of that intimidation, then they would start trying to um uh attack or sabotage. Yeah. You know, uh any uh, uh progression or um recognition, you know, um uh, if you do something and uh, if I would do something on a job and it was successful, it's the look that's on their faces, you know, like how dare you show me up sort of look, you know, yeah. or, yeah. Um, yeah. You, know, know. I, you know, I, 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 I'm not I always show love. I don't have prejudice. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not a historian, but I'm sure it's probably safe to say that. That goes back to training, you know, what people think about other groups of people, you know, you know, you know, what what is said in a white home when there are no blacks around, you know, about black people. Same thing was said in a black home about whites or other groups of people when there are none around. You know, and if I have a mindset, if a per- not me, but if a person has a mindset where they're privileged, like I should be getting this because I'm white or I don't mm. need a degree because I'm white. Well, here you come, black with a degree. And so how dare you come here and show me up? Because I had already convinced myself that I didn't need a degree because I'm white. And so now you come, being black, bringing the degree and all of the knowledge, all of the experience and everything else that went with that, you know. And so now I'm, I'm uh, now I have to look at, I didn't even go as far as you went. And we put, a, in our culture, you know, we put a lot of emphasis on um, education, college education, going as far as you can go, because we know we need that in you know, in our culture. And we in the past we needed it to even get some of the jobs that we've landed. That's you know right. and to level the playing field. That's exactly right. And it's it I discovered when I got my undergrad degree and then even with my master's degrees, I discovered that I would go on jobs and that our my white coworkers didn't even have they didn't even have the same mindset about college. We think they just oh they're just all excited about going to college. Not mm-hmm. necessarily. You know I had one lady on a job. I heard her say out loud, my daughter been to school. Her daughter was graduating from high school. And someone asked her, was her daughter going to go to college? She said, look, she just did 12 years of school. I'm not going to force her to go to college. Wow. And I was like, I don't even think that was a discussion in our house like that. You know. Um, <laughs> but you better get what you can get. <laughs> you better, yeah, you know, we either went to college, Botech, trade school, something, you know, um, in our culture. But, uh, I realized that even that even in in the 21st century, there's an old saying that um, that I grew up hearing my mom and them say, and that was, you know, uh, when you're black on a job, you have to work twice as hard, you know, to get the same recognition, get the same. You got to do more work, you know. And even with a master's degree, I'm finding on certain jobs, on a certain jobs that I've had, that that is still true, even in the 21st century. So true. It's still true. True. This is so true. I um, I when I I'm as I stated, I'm from California, but I relocated to uh, Georgia, and um, I needed to work a couple of years in the school system before I pursued this passion that I have to you know get my footing in the city, so to speak, and mm-hmm. get some money. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, I went into a system where it was predominantly white. 
Now, granted, by the time I left the school district I was in, you know, blacks were everywhere, and it was a common thing to see black teachers, black principals, whatever. But I went into this system where it was very few, <laughs> very few. And this mentality that I wasn't, this mentality I wasn't used to that, oh, you don't know that I'm just as good as you, as you are? Yeah. Oh, you didn't know that. I could pursue a master and get one just like you. I didn't know that that still existed, that people do do not receive black people in the same way across the country as they do other places. They don't realize that we have accomplishments. We achieve. We do things. And they, Anyway, I ended up in the school district, and I'm telling you, it was an eye-opener for me. Very few blacks. The, um, you know, all the things mm-hmm. that I learned in education, now that I'm here, they're just learning it. And we've done that 10 years ago, but yet they feel that they're way up there. And that is the school district I ended up um, uh, finally leaving, and I went into retirement. I had a master's, several credentials, uh, uh I co-wrote a book with a young lady, and I, I, I mentored for many years. And finally, they told me, with my master's degree, with my credentials and my years of experience, that you may not be highly qualified. Wow. You just may not, and you might need to take these classes, and you might need to do this, and you might, and you know, I, I refuse to do it. Absolutely. I refuse to do, and of course, you know, you could fight and do this and that, but I, 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 I looked at them, and many years ago, I decided that, you know, that being, uh, getting an education and being able to have choices was going to put me in a financial position so that I could do what I wanted to do after I became of a certain age. And that's exactly what I did. I said, save it. Take your highly qualified and your whatever, and I'm going to retire. And they could not wrap their minds around how could I retire at that age comfortably without it being a problem. And so it's just one thing after the next that, you know, you see these people with these closed mindsets, and children don't come into the world like that. They learn it yes. from being a teacher. They yes. learn this this mentality that I'm superior. They learn those things. They learn this mentality that I'm better than you from other people. And so I, I eventually I said, listen, I am quali- highly qualified, and I will be leaving. Um, I will be retiring such and such a date, and this is your indication that this is coming forth. Let this be your notice. And I had I, I ended up leaving. Wow, you know, I I did a um um a a, co- a certification in coaching and uh, we had to twice a it was a year long program and we had to go to California to meet uh, with the instructors and the others that are in the program. And surely enough, in that program, that certification, it ended up being just two black females. 
uh, no black males at all that I didn't, I didn't see any. It was two of us that were two black females in that sort of that year long certification program, and I could tell you know everybody was pretty nice in there, but still, mm-hmm. just to see, I think one time we had been there a couple of days, and we finally said to each other, "We're the only black people here," <laughs> you know. Because, you know, and then you wonder, you know, uh, where is everybody, you know, and maybe they are pursuing something different. But yeah. And we saw them, and then, of course, we, a little bit later, we saw some other uh, African-Americans that were there, like maybe uh, in the master's program or something like that. But in what we were in, it was only two. And when we went back a second time, it may have, it was like three maybe. We One sister came later, but um, it was just two of us. And then... But even in among that group um, of people, uh, what we discovered was um, some of them had a master's degree, and now we're sitting in this certification program, and they still had um, low, like low self-esteem, or they didn't have confidence that they could. Um, you know, uh, really be good at it, you know, and then there was, when you talked to them one-on-one, some of them, an amazement of how you, how we could be so confident. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know. Just speaking and, you know, being able to articulate your ideas and your thoughts. Right. right. You know, and on deep down on the inside, you know, you want to almost Say it like James Brown said it, you know, say it loud. I'm black and I'm proud. That's where it comes from. Because, you know, I'm pushing myself. True. And then, you know, it goes on from there. There's, here I am in a new district, in a new state. I'm trying to befriend uh, some black teachers. And they, there I'm from a different place, and I'm, I'm prejudiced against because I'm, I'm from a different place in the way I speak. I'm like, oh, you can't win. You know, you can't win from losing. And then there's that whole system in education, um, and I'm just speaking from my experience. General educators sometimes feel that they're better than those teachers who speak, who who teach special education. So therein lies another uh, division. So you have all these things. So when you go through life, you better know who you are. You better be able to stand for who you are and stay true to yourself. And know that there's a God on your side to get you through all these. Otherwise, you will be messed up because it's all of these vices and these challenges that are trying to come against you. Wow. What would you say to an African-American woman who is contemplating whether or not she should get a degree or whether or not she should go to get uh, pursue a higher uh, academic degree? Oh, I would definitely tell her all to, to pursue a higher degree. It, you know, um, and that could be anything. That could be you want to go into computers. Maybe you can take this training class. Maybe you can, whatever mm-hmm. it is, pursue something higher, a higher level achievement. And I, it's not always just to make more money, but when you make those achievements, another achievement, achievement you feel good about yourself and it broadens your perspective. And you get to meet different people and different people from different walks of life and, and experience different challenges that they help you to grow into what you're supposed to become. And I, I would definitely, definitely tell a young African-American woman to continue to uh, pursue a higher level, though, because it really increased my options uh, uh, 
for employment. I could apply for a teacher. I could apply for a principal. I could apply for this. I could apply for that because I had a degree. And in general, you know, when you go for a job, they have to look at the degree and not at you or your color of your skin. And so that that it, it opens um, your options and it widens your perspective about life. And so I would definitely tell them to do that. And then it puts you in a place where I knew all along since when I started teaching them in my 30s that I was going to retire early. And because of the job that I had, the, the you know, the security in my job and the type of benefits that I had, I was able to just keep my eye on pursuing that until that date, and I was able to come out exactly when I, I had set the goal to come out. Wow. I sure yeah. did. I set that goal, Ginger, and I kept putting that money where it needed to go, and I was able to come out. And now I'm gonna. I'm living the second chapter of my life, and I'm able to live my passion and live it with power. Absolutely. And I would say to an African-American uh, woman that is thinking about getting her first degree or going to the next level to a, um, a higher degree or pursuing a Ph.D., go for it. You know, yeah. I would say go for it. And I agree with you, don't go for it because you can make more money. We're going to sort of believe, I think, that that comes with the, the, the accomplishment of the degree. But you need to pursue it because if it is in align with, uh, alignment with your purpose, you need it. You have to see a you have to see a value to why you're getting it. Don't get it just because. You know, uh pursue it because it is it is in align with what you're supposed to be doing with your life. Or it or as you said, it gives you another option or it's gonna open up another door. Because mm-hmm. you know, when I went to undergrad school uh, I didn't ha- really have anybody. I-, I majored in accounting because it was the popular field at that time. Okay. If I had had somebody to tell me or work with me through, like, vocational counseling, you know, taking tests to discover what my interests were or whatever, I probably would have been a lawyer or I probably would have been on TV, you know. So I just went with what was, you know, at that time it was accounting, engineering was just booming. I did not want to go five years. And then computer science was five years. Mm-mm. Four years, and so I picked that because it was the popular. It was it was booming at that time. So, but um, uh, my masters, when I got my masters, it was in alignment with what God had called me to do. Great. So, yeah, I would tell uh, an African American woman if you're getting a degree for the first time, first find what your life purpose is. I love that. Then go. Then make a decision about what degree you should get your bachelor's degree, what field of study you should get the bachelor's degree in. You know, in or if you're moving to the master's level, let's say some people go ahead on to uh to grad school because they don't really like what they um majored in and, and undergrad you get out there and you start working like people hear me tell that my story all the time. Uh, you know, after the excitement of getting that degree and getting my first job in accounting, I was like, there has got to be more. <laughs> I know. Uh-uh. You know, and it was okay for a minute, but I knew I said, something is going on, you know. And um, so even if you're at that place and you're like, wow, I need to make a transition into I want to pursue something more than this or 
something different. You know, I know this is not for me. So I need to, first you got to figure out what your purpose is. And then go to get your masters according to what's going to complement what God has shown you that your life has been designed or purpose for. It's the same thing with a PhD. Make sure if you're doing it, don't just get it so you can just say, oh, I just want a PhD. You know, that's a hobby for you. Go for it if you want to go for it as a hobby. But if you're doing it to to align your life in order, then you got to make sure that you're not wasting time. You don't want to go through a master's degree program or go through a PhD program and find out you are wasting time. And then, you know, for some people, it's not even going to be the completion, as you just said, of a master's or PhD. It's going to be a certificate in something. That's we right. have so many, there are so many options available. See, when I went to master's school, there were no certificate programs. You go on, no. So now you have so many different options where you can go a year and get certified in something, you know, That's or it. a year and a half, you know, and get certified. Not only do you have that option, you got online options. You can go to class online or you can do what they, uh, or you had at that time when I was in grad school, what they call a modular program. And people would come in, they would do everything by mail, and then they would come in once a semester and spend one week on the campus, and they would go through 40 hours of teaching, eight hours a day for one week. Well, now they probably still have that, but now you also have online. So now you can take the class online right in the comfort of your house. You know, so you have, but, you know, I know in the Walden's University where I'm doing the Ph.D., your classes are online, but you do have to go to what they call residency. Oh. And so uh, you do have to go um, to X number of residencies, and that's where you would go to whatever city they're having that residency in, and you would spend four days where you're with your instructors and you're in class for four days. You have um, specific classes during the morning session, and then in the afternoon you have to pick workshops that you go to. So you still have to meet with them, but it's just like 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 we probably went to class, you know, every oh, other yeah. day or something. You know, so now there's so many options available. So I would tell that I would tell that sister if she's thinking about it, go for it. Put a purpose in mind. Assign it a purpose. You know, I'm just not going to get a degree. There's a purpose I'm doing this. You know, or it's a little different if a person is a little older and they just want a degree. So to say that they went to college, then go for it. Do your thing. You know, um, also. Um, just remember that it's real important to know what you what what your what your purpose is. So before we get into the special teaching on tonight about living uh, a life of purpose, tell us a little bit about Empowered One. Okay, um, I would that uh, Empowered One was birthed out of uh, different things I have went experienced in my life, the obstacles, and through all of these obstacles and mistakes. I was able to create Empower One. And Empower One is a life coaching a professional service that provides clients with feedback and insights and guidance. I love this because I I love helping people and the main goal of Empower One is to inspire and instruct people and to give them how to information to help them live a life of purpose, a life of fulfillment, a life that allows them to be true to who they really are inside. And so um, I love this, uh, This I call it a ministry as well, uh, 
Ginger, not only is it a life coaching business, it's a ministry because it's a ministry of affirmation and mm-hmm. encouragement to women. I don't care if you're, you're single, if you're a, a teenage uh, pregnant, you had a teenage pregnancy, and you're a teenage mother. I don't care if you are, are, are broken. Whatever it is, empowerment will inspire you by challenging you, Ginger, mm-hmm. and then that change will take place. And we find that when people are challenged, uh, they they're able to set goals for themselves so that they can see more clearly measurable uh, uh, measurable ways to see how they are going about attaining a goal because it's so important to set goals to measure your progress and then they'll begin to see that this allows you to be. Um, It allows you to be more serious about yourself. What I'm doing, this person, this life coach is helping me be more serious about what I'm doing. They're making me accountable. Um, this life coaching and power one also helps people to build, to you know, maintain some kind of momentum and consistency in their life. This is what I'm doing. I'm going to stick to it till the end, until I accomplish it. But it is really a uh, 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 a passion, and um, I'm enjoying every bit of it. It's uh, I've uh, said 12 power principles that if anyone puts them into practice, they're guaranteed to be successful, Ginger. And I just, I just love helping people, being the voice of information and instruction to help people live better lives. So wow. it's really, really, really I, this second chapter of my life, I wouldn't change it for the world. Wow, that's interesting. You know, the voice of information, you know, uh, and I think that's, that's a powerful thing. And when you talk about, you know, uh, life coaching and empowering uh, people, especially women, especially African-American women, I think life coaching is so um, beneficial. Uh, it's beneficial to anybody, but specifically to um, African-American women, especially when you talk about living a life of purpose, because it empowers her to believe even more that she's valuable and that there's there that you, she has um, um, assets um, that are in her life and she has abilities and she has gifts. You know, she has she can have direction in her life. You know, and that she can go forward uh, into a, in accomplishing some great things. You know, but um, uh, I. I I'm also um, a life coach as well, and I have a, a friend that I see, you know, among the callers on the line who's also a life coach. And we've talked about this before, is that um, I, I believe that when you're talking about coaching somebody's life, at some point in that process, there has to come some how-to. Mm, yeah. You have to come some how-to. There has to be some how-to's from the coach's um professional place there has to be some how to's because if we all had the ability to um figure it out for ourselves we would not need helping professions of any kind this is true we wouldn't need them of any kind you know if uh someone who's addicted could figure out how to be how to 
become unaddicted. They would not need recovery counselors or addiction counselors, but they wouldn't need it because but those that we don't have, everybody doesn't have. And I know they teach that in life coaching that innately within them, they have, they, you know, they have everything within them. They can discover it and we're just helping them to discover, you know, some people have not discovered anything and they need that um, information, as you said, that voice of information to even say you can do this. You know, they need the voice of information to say follow these steps and here what, here's what should happen for you if you follow these steps. You know, like we tell people, you know, somebody wants to start a business, nobody says to them, you know, you have everything within you to start that business. Why don't you, what is it that you think you have within you? No, when they want to start a business, they go to somebody and the person says, the first thing you need to do is figure out what type of business you want to start. Then you need to find out what type of licensing is required um, in the city where you live. They give them the steps. You know, they even down to how to put the business plan together. Whenever somebody talks to you about a business plan, they don't say you have everything within you figure that out. You know, they tell you how to do it. And I think we meet, we need more how-to coaches, you know, uh, life coaches out there who who are not afraid to tell someone how to do something and then watch them take the action steps that they need to take. And, you know, you're not going to do the work for them, but you can tell them what they need to do. That's right. And, you know, um, for us in the body of Christ, the scripture says two are better than one. I love it. Two are better than one because when one falls, the other one can pick them up. And then there's another one that says, how can two walk together except they agree? We can't go in the same direction unless we agree. So when I'm coaching you, for me to coach you in a direction that you need to go in, we've got to be in agreement. Yes, man, that's right. Because we know it's a collaborative partnership built on taking action, but people more than any time in our country, they're seeking advice. They want success strategies, and they want yes. that how-to information that you talked about. And um, I recently read a book by Brendan Bouchard called The Life's Golden Ticket, and he stresses how important this time in our period of our country is for it's the greatest entrepreneurial opportunity in our history because people are seeking which way to go. They're stuck. Yeah. And not only that, I agree with you personally and professionally with how we need to we have to have the courage to tell people this is what you do. This is how you do it. And if you do it, these are the results that you will get. And um a lot of people are uh stuck. Uh, they 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 uh they haven't committed to their dream. They don't even know who they're doing, and they're doing a lot of self-negative talk. And the framework that they have is lacking. They need somebody to just show me, how do I uh, develop a framework to get started and whatever it is that I endeavor? Show me. Teach me. Right, absolutely. And that's, you know, and, and you know, I, that's why I think we need uh African-American women to go get those degrees, go get those certifications, because we have some women in our group, in our race of people, they're never going to go outside of our group to get help. 
they're actually going to be looking for African-American women to help them. So you know, they'll go if they have to, but they're like, wow, do you know somebody black that can help me? Or do you know a black woman that can help me? We need sisters to go get their degrees, go get your certifications, you know, or at least, you know, figure out how to do what it is. If you want to help, like you said, you love helping people. There are a lot of women out there that love helping people. And you do have the ability to do it. You have the sharp minds, everything. Do what you have to do to learn how to help people. And then make yourself available. That's why education in some uh, form, whether it's formal or informal, is so crucial. Because, you know, you can do informal training. You can watch a DVD and get it. You know, you can listen to a CD, a CD, audio, audio CD and get it. You know, you can read a book off the Barnes & Noble book, Bob book on something and get it. You know, everybody's not going to have that formal educational education uh uh, training where you're sitting in a classroom in a, at a university, you know, getting uh, that formal degree. Some people it's going to be an informal training. Some people are going to be mentored. Because somebody else is going to mentor them, and guess what? They're going to go out there and they're going to be extremely successful. And they would have never stepped foot inside a university class. So, yeah. and you know, we have uh, people even in our families, you and I, that they're. Stuck in dead-end jobs, they're not happy, they're unfulfilled, and they are not encouraged to do anything else. And they, they feel like they, they, they sabotage uh, everything that they dreamed and hoped for. And we have to let them know, no, you don't have to stay stuck, my sister. You don't have to be in this dead-end job, my friend. There are opportunities for you because everybody has a story. And right. your story may touch this person, and my story may touch that person. And in just having your story, sharing it with someone, that can make a difference in a person's life. It can make it sometimes all the difference. But, you know, also besides coaching and going to that other level, another level of achievement, spiritually people are bankrupt. Mm-hmm. Okay, I have these skills, I have this degree, but it's something inside of me that's dying. I'm the living dead. Somebody reach out and touch me, show me a love, show me what I need to do, what are my next steps. So not only do we have to coach them in achievement, but how to coach them from the inside out. You are right. You are uh, wonderfully made. Absolutely. God, uh, you are a child of God. And because you're a child of God, it's so many things that you have accessible for you. If you have faith and you have some hope, and then you mix some surrendering your will to his will, and then you trust him, then we can get those things that you want to accomplish on the outside, we can get them done if we do some chiseling and some surgery on the inside. That's called inside-out coaching. And um, I think that that's overlooked many times. But we, in our conversation, we talk like a lot of people are saying spiritual coaching. That's the, that's the buzzword. But we're talking about Christ. <laughs> we're talking about Christ in your life. 
that he says it starts with the renewing of your mind. He'll renew your mind and your thoughts, and he'll give you hope. And so that's what I offer first, and that's why I loved you praying with uh, the audience and with me when you started your show, because prayer is powerful. And it's not an option, it's a necessity in our lives. And that's another aspect of my coaching, um, Ginger, is teaching people the power of prayer. And people have to be taught how to pray many times, just like the disciples asked Christ, teach me how to pray. But there's a way to pray to get the results that you need. And I just think this is beautiful how you can blend the the spiritual aspect and then the um, technical parts of how people need to live the life of their dreams and pull it all together to make a whole person using the body, mind, and the spirit. Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm going to tell you, that's a scripture in Proverbs. I'm going to read it to you. It's um, uh, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 5 says, A wise man will hear and increase learning. And a man of understanding will attain wise counsel, you know. And so today in the 21st century, ladies, there's no reason why you cannot increase your learning. As I said, you may not go to a formal university setting, but there are informal ways of increasing your learning, even when it's down to discovering what your life purpose is. You know, sometimes it, it might take a mentor to help you or a life coach. Uh, to help you, but the key is if you want to live a fulfilled life, is to discover what God has purposed your life for, and then you must increase your learning. Mm. You have to increase your learning. You have to learn not just about what your life purpose is. You have to learn about yourself. That's right. Because if you don't learn about yourself, we call it self awareness. But the bottom line is you got to get an understanding about who you are and who God has created you to be. Because that will line up with what the what the assignment is on your life. A lot of times, you know, people can go and learn a job or learn a skill or a trade for a job and still, as you just said, be bankrupt emotionally, be bankrupt mentally. They do well on their jobs, uh, but when they come home, because they're not satisfied with who she may not be satisfied with who she is, may not like what she sees in the mirror, may not like herself, may be hurting, may have a lot of pain there from something. But while she's on her job, she could put that mask on and fulfill her job task. But when she gets home, because she has not taken time to learn about herself, then she shuts off until 7 o'clock the next morning. And so... uh when we talk about a life of purpose, um, it goes back to the initial place of knowing who God has created you to be. And the best way to do that is to have communication with God, and you do that through prayer. Once you develop that prayer life and you begin to get into the Word of God and allow it to do its work on the inside of you, heal you, do what it has to do for you, then you have to discover what are your abilities, what are you, what are you, what, what are your gifts, your abilities, your talents, what's your interests, you know, because all of that should at some point be pushing you into the area of purpose. You know, you may be passionate about something, you know, um, 
uh, like for example, uh, somebody who wants to be an after-school tutor may have been a formal a teacher, or may be someone who is passionate about making sure or passionate about seeing young people get the education that they that they need in order to be successful in life when they get older. So they open up an after-school tutorial program, and I mean, you know, that like for me, that would be like, oh, that's, I'm glad you did that, you know. But for somebody who's really passionate about that or excited about that, oh man, they're gonna put 110 percent in making that successful. So you can't apply yourself if you don't know yourself. And so. Uh, we talk about a life of purpose. We're talking about knowing most. The most important thing is knowing who you are. You must know who you are, especially as a as a, a woman, and particularly an African American woman, but specifically um, as a woman because men as well. But women have been. We've been raised to take on a certain role that we that is taught to us about what women do. You know. Uh, uh, and so, and we leave it at that. But then we have these burning desires on the inside yeah. to go beyond that. But then we lock ourselves in: housewife, mother, uh, get you a job, you know, get you a nice car, and all. And then, but you got all of this excitement going on on the inside of you that's bubbling up, you know. It's like you know, she doesn't know what to do with it, you know, because she's still boxed into what society and what her family members maybe have said what she should be doing as a woman. So she doesn't launch out and start her own business or, you know, she doesn't go for the, the uh, promotion on the job or, you know, uh, well, is that going to take a lot of your time? And, you know, so she doesn't really pursue um, her her dreams or her passion, but and a lot of it has to do with not knowing who you are. That's right. And so if you go to the, you Go ahead. come against obstacles and difficulties. If you love the work that you're doing, that's not going to stop you. If that is what is in line with God has for you, that's not going to stop you. So you have to work and keep working, and you have to love the work that you're doing and do the work that you love. And then it will all come together. And I'm telling you, I'm... I'm living the second chapter of my life. I'm living this power, purpose, because I love helping people. I can do it for free because I love helping people. There's so many people I meet every day, Ginger, whether it's at the grocery store, the gas pump. They're just looking for something to give them a a feeling of fulfillment, to bring that Way back. You know that kind of joy when right. you wake up in the morning, you say, oh, I'm thankful to be alive because I have a purpose. And this purpose is what God has me to do. Right. And it just feels good. And, and another thing, when you, you, you decide what you want to do, you still have to give. You have to give generously. That means you have to give something back. Don't always be looking how you can make money all the time, give something, and it will be given back to you. Press down and pouring over. <laughs> it will be Absolutely. given back. So I just love this um, this opportunity to share with your audience that that, that, that purpose-filled life is one of the most important things that they could do. 
to live a life of purpose and to live it in a way that is powerful, that people live can feel your energy and your love for them and that your love for all mankind is that nothing can separate you from the love of God, not nothing that you can go through, not nothing that, no challenge that will affect you, nothing can separate you. So no matter what comes your way, you Still in a win-win situation because God has you and you love what you are doing. And I just thank you again um, for this opportunity to let people know that uh, this isn't the end of this story. Absolutely, absolutely. And so we encourage you again, you know, uh, before we wrap it up, we want to encourage you, uh, if you are a a woman, especially African-American woman, trying to decide whether or not you want to pursue um, a higher degree, an educational degree or some type of certification in something, if it's in alignment with what your, your life purpose is, go for it. Go for it. And, you know, if you have family, children, uh, sit them down, explain to them what your desires are, what your goals are, what you would like to see yourself doing, and then let them know how they can help you accomplish that goal. Make them a part of it. You know, let kids ask you, hey, Mom, did you do your assignment today? You know, find a way to bring them into this the, uh, pursuit that you're on and, and, and make them a part of it. Not They can't take on the educational uh, burden or learning for you, but they can be motivators. They can excite you. They can remind you of of different things and so that they don't feel shut out and left out, you know, um, uh, even some friends, even if you're single and you're going on, bring your friends in on it. You know, get excited about it when you talk about go and get your first degree or go and get your master's or go and get your um, Ph.D. Get excited about it because if you're not excited about it, you're going through the motions and you're going to find yourself when you completed it and got your master's or got your Ph.D., you're going to say, wow, I just spent three years doing that. So you got to be excited about pursuing that degree or getting that certification of some kind. You might find some, uh, as you said, some bumps or some obstacles along the way, but you got to jump over that thing and say, i got a goal in mind. I have a plan in motion. You know, that was just an obstacle. i got to keep pressing because I know that if I press on, I will um, make this work. This will work out for me. You know, I can remember when I was in um, – uh, that coaching certification program, my friend and I, uh, kids would talk and we would be like, oh, brother, you know. Because sometimes you can be in a class or you can be uh, in a program and you'd be like, oh, my God, you could be really bored, you know, depending on what the class it is. Every class is not going to be exciting, That's you right. know. Uh, so, you know, like I had to take um, in grad school, I had to take, uh, what was it? I think it was like uh, um some kind of language class or something or, or like Old Testament uh, survey. And I was like, oh, brother, you know, <laughs> you know, and I, I took the class, and, you know, and I made it through and got a decent, got a, a very good grade. But at the time when I was taking that class, I was like, what in the world does this have to do with why I'm here? But, you know, there are some classes in your program that are just some basic general classes that everybody has to take. Mm-hmm. And you just have to hang in there until you get to the specifics of what you're trying to accomplish. Because it, but. When you go back over your academic journey, you're going to find that they all fall in place. Yes. 
And we just want to remind them that if they let go of disappointments and distractions, they're standing away from reaching their goals, Ginger. And that our audience, we want them to believe that they have the power within them to be resilient no matter what happens as they move move towards their goals. And to know that when you start taking steps to move past these obstacles, you can begin to feel better and be intentional about your efforts that you make towards your goals. Absolutely. And last, I just want to say to encourage, okay. to embrace the courage to look at themselves in terms of what they shall become. Be brave enough to take the necessary actions to bring your dreams into reality. That's really important. Absolutely. You know, if you are in a success pursuing, like say, a PhD in, in psychology, you have to do what, what, what Makia just said. You have to see what you shall become. I shall be a psychologist. If you're getting a doctor, a, a, a medical doctor's uh, degree, I will be a medical doctor. You have to keep saying that thing. You have to keep speaking. I will be a school teacher. I yeah. will be a lawyer. I'm not just going to school. There's a purpose for me doing this. And you have to start speaking it over your own life. If nobody else says it, even if family members are saying, you still in school, you got to keep speaking it over your life. You know, when you're coming out, I will be a lawyer. When I shall be a medical doctor, you have to keep speaking those things. I shall be educated. You know, I shall be, uh, be successful on any job that I get. You have to keep speaking it while you're going through your academic career. You have to keep or your, whatever type of uh, certification or uh, training that you're going through. You have to keep saying that I shall be, I shall be, I shall be, I will be, I will be, I will be, I will be whatever that is. And you have to see yourself doing it. You have to get that visual picture. You have to say once this degree, because as you said, once you get that degree, your options really open up for you. You know, and some people will uh, get a degree and launch their own business and never step foot inside a nine to five job. But the knowledge that you got, the learning, the understanding that you got going through that that um, academic process. It's what's going to help you to launch and sustain whatever it is that God has for you to do. Yeah. And so what we want to do is, uh, before we go, I want to open up the phone lines. Um, if you're on the call and you have a comment or a question about your academic uh, journey, uh, just press the number one on your uh, dial pad and we'll bring you on. And um, if not, then we're just going to have some closing remarks. I'm going to let Makia tell you how you can get in contact with her and then we're going to uh, close the show for this evening. So as they are trying to decide if they have a question or a comment, Makia, well, I want you to give the list, tell the listening audience how they can connect with you on Facebook or uh, your website. Okay. Um I can be contacted at my website, which is empoweredonelifecoach.com. Um, that's E-M-P-O-W-E-R-E-D-1, lifecoach.com. Or at my email address, which is white at empoweredonelifecoach.com. Um, um, I'm also on Facebook under... Uh, Empowered One Life Coach, LLC. Okay. So those are some of the things. And I'm also, uh, Ginger, offering a free complimentary 15-minute session for anyone that goes to my website and fills out a goal report, which kind of allows you to reflect on what it is that you're looking for out of life and out of a coach to help you meet those 
those goals. And um, I'm looking forward to hearing from um, your listeners and helping them uh, live a life of purpose. Wonderful, wonderful. So don't forget to go to her website, fill out the goal uh, report so you can get that complimentary session. You know, you can find out. How long is the complimentary session, Makia? Fifteen minutes. Fifteen-minute session. You can find out a lot in 15 minutes, you know, about yourself, and you can find out where you need help at. You can find out how the coach can help you. You can find out a lot in 15 minutes. So go to her website um, and uh, fill out that report so you can get that complimentary 15-minute coaching session uh, with Makia. You don't want to miss it. It's a, a golden, brilliant opportunity uh, for you to um, at, uh, at least talk to a life coach for a few minutes and find out uh, what some of the steps are that you should be taking um, on your journey. And so I want to encourage you again before we go off the air that if you are um, a sister that is thinking about pursuing an academic, a higher academic degree, please, or just your first one, your BS, please pursue it. Get that education, but make sure that the education you get is targeted to your life's purpose, connected to your life's purpose, so that when you are going on your academic journey, that you have some excitement and some fulfillment as you're completing each step along the way. You don't want to become bored and discouraged and drop out. So attach, make sure that your academic career is a, is attached to and connected to your life's purpose. If you're not real sure what your life purpose is, then while you're going through that, if it's an undergrad degree and you're going through that basic generalized courses, then you need to connect with a life coach to help you discover that. So before you make a final call on what your uh, major will be, or if you're in a master's program and you're doing just the basic general courses, before you finish up, find out, you know, take a moment, take a step away for a second, and connect with somebody who can help you to discover what your life purpose is so that you can make sure that you're on target with everything that you're doing. The scripture says that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And so if you want to make sure you live a fulfilled life, you have to connect your learning to your purpose. And that is what's going to help you to um, be empowered to stay um fulfilled as you're going through your journey. So I want to thank everybody for joining us on this evening. It has been a pleasure. Makia, thank you so much for coming on the show and being interviewed and, and giving those uh, those um, nuggets on life purpose. I really appreciate you coming on the show tonight. And, uh, again, I want everybody to um, be sure to connect with her. Go to her website. Go to her home, Facebook page. Email her. Um, and we can put the, we'll put the information up on Facebook for you uh, so that you can connect with her. And uh, we'll send it out in an email blast as well. So we want to thank you so much for joining. Uh, do you have any closing remarks, uh, Makia, before we go? I just want to leave them with these words. Be inspired, be challenged, and be changed. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, everybody. God bless you. Have a wonderful evening. Thank you. Thank you.